Hello, welcome back to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano, and back again is... Al's sidekick, Brian Zeno. Hello, trusty sidekick. Hi there. Hey, someone has a gun. Stand in front of me. <laughs> no way, Kimosabi. I'm out of here. I'm anyway. a smart sidekick. <laughs> well, then you're not a sidekick. Mm. Doesn't work very well. No. Where's Human Shield? He's here somewhere. <laughs> anyway, so we are back, and if you remember last time Brian was here, we got cut off a little bit with finishing up uh, Captain Marvel 27. Mm-hmm. So we are going to jump right back into that first. So in case you forgot, last time Captain Marvel 27, Cap, and of course that means Rick, were kidnapped and taken to Titan. Mm-hmm. And luckily, Thanos, you know, taken by Thanos and mm-hmm. locked up. And luckily, Thanos' goons are stupid and don't listen to him. So they locked him up with other people. They well, locked him up with Mentor and Eros. So they were all able to escape, and now they are fighting Thanos' goons, because Thanos is on Earth looking for the Cosmic Cube. Right. He's gone to Louisiana looking for the Cosmic Cube with uh, one, with uh, Death, his uh, his yes. paramour Death. Although she has not been called... We, we know that looking backwards, but right. she has not been called that yet. Exactly. I exactly. think she just wanted some uh, beignets from New Orleans. And Who he's doesn't? Like, Come on, He's man. like, all that's, right, baby, whatever. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'll take you look, anywhere, baby. Look, there, there, we got those there. There's a Cosmic Cube. We mm-hmm. got it all covered. It's all good. And, and he encounters Drax there. And uh, Luann has showed up for at Avengers Mansion. And passed out. And passed out. And uh, so, meanwhile, the new Titan Revolution uh, is busting up Thanos' goon's hood uh, sort of behind his back. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's such a huge army fighting for the freedom of Titan. Yeah, it's three three guys, basically. Mentor, Eros, and Captain Marvel. Marvel. And, Slash uh, Rick. But apparently, yeah, and apparently this is an army of cannon fodder mercenaries and the Super Scroll. That's pretty much the uh, what they're facing. Yeah. And and uh, so when we jump back into the action here, uh, Super Scroll and Marvel are having a good old-fashioned Jim Starlin punch him up. Brock, wham, tunk, oh. I do like the use, when they use the Super Scroll using his power, Fantastic Four power Always. as well, where he's way back away from Marvel, but mm-hmm. he's using Mr. Fantastic's power to punch him out still. Exactly, and then he flames on. But what I like here on this on, on, on this page with the, uh, with the punch him up, there's a panel down at the bottom where... The super, you know, they're they're obviously they're doing the big tough guy speechifying during the yes. the 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 fight, and Captain Marvel's all like, "Battles are fought with the mind as well, Skrull." He's being all like noble, and 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 you'll continue to fail because the, the Titan's artificial strong makes sun makes me stronger, and I won't waste that power. Blah blah blah. And what's great is then the Super Skrull says, "Bah." This is Super Scroll you face. And I swear the first time I sort of looked at that speech balloon, I misread it. So I thought he said, I will Super Scroll you face. <laughs> and so now that's a thing in my head. It's like, I will Super Scroll your face. Ha! So beware when someone wants to Super Scroll your face, because that is clearly not a good thing. Does that mean they throw green paint on you or they make your chin, they squish your chin up so it gets no. all scrolly? No, I think, I think it means that they're going to punch and burn you in the jaw. Oh, that makes sense. They're going to Super Scroll your face. So, so fast that you don't see it. Yes. Visible like. Not a good thing is my point, so. Yes. Uh. Yeah, well, Scroll's an idiot, too, which is shown here especially. That he's just like, I'm strong. As long as you're stronger, you will win. And Marvel, I don't know if so much being noble is like, the Kree have been so on top, uh-huh. so to speak, in their corner of the universe for so long, that they're not just the strongest. They're the strongest and the smartest. Yes. Yes, they are. And and not to mention, there's a, there, there there's basically a big old racism going on here. I mean, Marvel 
Marvel hates the Super Scroll and wants to defeat the Super Scroll partially because he's a villain. And that's what, you know, superheroes do. Yeah. But also it's compounded here because Marvel's a Cray and the Super Scroll is, well, a Scroll. Yeah. And so, like, there's, there's a lot of racial animosity. But he had a bit of a hot, he had the hots for the Scroll and, um, Princess. That's true. That's true. If well, you recall, you know. I mean, we, we didn't cover it here, really, but in the Kree yeah, Scroll War, a bit of a flashback, but yeah, in Kree Scroll War, you, there was a bit of a flirtation going on between him, him mm-hmm. and her. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you gotta love the style of those old fifties, sixties uh, aliens, where the males are always freaky looking, and mm-hmm. the alien women are always so hot. So. Yeah, exactly. No, it's true. It's like I still am as hot as any Earth woman. I just have green skin. I like though that they subverted that with the Badoon. Because they do have the Brotherhood of the Badoon and the Sisterhood of the Badoon, but the Sisterhood of the Badoon are just as hideous as the Brotherhood of the Badoon. So, good on them for that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, why are they always going to be, you know, all the males are going to look hideous and all the women are going to be beautiful because we're going to want to have all the males killed and... Our hero's going to fall from one of the females. Exactly. Um, so as this moves on, the, the, we, we move on, and now the, the Super Skull's flaming on with his human torch power has burned a significant portion of Captain Marvel's uniform off. And Only I the top love part, this. Not the bottom part. Right, so he's got this sort of um, wrestler's uh, one-shoulder uh, one unitard thing. Yeah, going it's like going on. over one shoulder and across yeah, his chest. Yeah, kind of like, you know, kind of like the uh, Andre the Giant or the Big Show so kind of that's a That's also the Big Show, yeah. Um, and I love it because this is so 70s here. Captain Marvel's chest is so hairy. I just think that is such a like, you didn't have to do that. Normally when they did, like, bare-chested superheroes in the 60s, they would just be sort of featureless pectoral muscles. I mean, hell, you wouldn't even have nipples. Yeah, know? I don't and see nipples go, here, but nope. it could be covered up by the hair. But there's so much hair. It's amazing. It's so 70s. Because he's a man. He's a manly man. And in the early 70s, how, what better way to say manly man than a hairy chest? Although you think the fire were taking care of a lot of that. Uh, you would think, and but, but, you know, apparently his, his uniform absorbed the brunt of that fiery blow. Sure, I'll so, go with that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why not? So, yeah, he, so he's still, because he's still punching out the scroll even though the scroll's on fire. Mm-hmm. And that's fine, you know, apparently the... the he has gloves on. He has right. the gloves still on. And, and the fire didn't appear to affect his skin much at all, so... Um, although, again, now to get back into the sort of overrunning thematic stuff that we that we were sort of getting at, knowing what's coming, as I do, you sort you can sort of recognize the thematic setup as it happens here. And kudos to uh, Starlin, and at this point, I believe Roy Thomas was the editor. Yes. Um, and so kudos, and and okay, we'll give we'll we'll throw Friedrich a a, a crumb of credit he's here as well because he's involved. Um, you have to give them credit for... I mean, they're not disrupting the, the flow of the action here, but they were clearly thinking a little bit more long-term than you would expect uh, comic book writers to be doing at this stage of comic book history. This is about the time they really started looking long, thinking long-term. I guess. So now you've got these panels, the, the, these captions here during this fight, where he says, You are one, Marvel. Your rage is in your fist. Your pride is in your snarl, and your honor trickles from your wounds. You have debts to collect. The murder of Professor Savannah. The ravaging of a planet. And yes, those wounds. And it's like, basically, they're setting him up here as the righteous fighting warrior. His violence is justified. His rage fuels his yeah. fists. And it's like, knowing what's knowing what's going to happen in a couple of issues where the nature of the warrior and the nature of Captain Marvel's 
uh, attitude towards fighting and violence will be seriously examined and upended, the fact that they are really laying those thematic groundwork here is very cool and makes this a very enjoyable and rewarding ex- reading experience for the slightly more informed. It's funny that I just referenced wrestling because if 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 one is a wrestling fan, as I occasionally am, you have in a way the in the twenty first century. Uh, wrestling fans like to talk about the smart fan and the mark, and then that sort of hybrid, the smart, who smart. knows, who sort of knows what's going on behind the scenes, can follow and take enjoyment from the setup of uh, storylines and the behind the scenes drama, and yet can still, as the as the lingo goes, can still mark out at a at a at an unexpected face turn or a big, well executed match. Blah blah blah. And this really plays something similar can be said to go on in comic book fandom, where on the one hand you have the smart fan who's looking at the tides of history and how the who can go back into the seventies and read these things, knowing their place in comic book history and knowing how they fit into the ongoing development of the superhero art form. And yet, then there's the Mark, the Mark fan who just wants to see, you know, a good guy beat up a bad guy. And then you have something like this, where Starlin and Friedrich and Thomas are setting up a really significant and unusual sort of philosophical event in the history of superhero comics. And when you see it set up in this way, it's sort of a smirk moment where it's hitting both sides of me. I'm loving it as an informed, history-oriented comic book uh, enthusiast and where I'm also just enjoying it as a fan. So, there. Thus endeth the rant. So, kind of like uh, something we talked about not so long ago, let's say New Thor, mm-hmm. where you have the smart fan who knows, well, this is how it usually goes, and these are how long these changes take. The, the, this female, this new version of Thor will be gone eventually, and we'll have the original one back, because mm-hmm. they always do that. And then you get the Mark, who's just like, what the hell did they do to Thor? I can't believe we're not going to have Thor anymore. Oh, my God. Exactly. And then you can sign and say the middle, medium one is the person who knows that those kind of things happen, like mm-hmm. in the story of times. But when they did that, the Thor went... Oh, crap, I didn't see that coming. Exactly. You know, when it hits that sweet spot where both the cynical, experienced, uh, educated uh, comic book observer is intrigued at the same time that the that your inner child who just digs on some cool superpower fights yeah. and, and conflict... You know, if both of those are tickled and intrigued at the same time, you've hit that sweet spot and you win the comic book game. And here in Captain yeah. Marvel 27, th- at least for this page, they're doing that. So well, this is, good on them. This is the early 70s, 73. So mm-hmm. at this point, this is like the, definitely the new breed of writers of Marvel have, mm-hmm. you know, in the, you know, we're well into the Bronze Age now. The new breed of writers have really taken hold. They're the ones doing pretty much everything. Right, exactly. You've got the, the Engelharts, Starlins, Gerbers, uh, um, Conway, Conway, Mensch, uh, all these guys are now running the show, uh, uh, creatively speaking. And you're right, it's Wolfman. A, it's, a, it's I think Wolfman. Wolf I think I think maybe I'll, comes a little later in the project. I'm maybe not sure if Len Marver on the scene quite yet. And you know, you, it's wonderful. Uh, as I do once an episode, please, if you haven't, go read Marvel Comics: The Untold Story um, by Sean Howe, and you you learn that you really can't talk about Marv Wolfman or Len Wein. I think Len separately was already Len on. Marv. <laughs> I think Len was already on. I can't say exactly what what month, but I know mm-hmm. X Men restarted in seventy five. Yes, Wolverine was out like a year or two beforehand, so Wolverine might be out 
this year, like his first appearance. In Hulk. No, no. Um, Hulk was, 181 was definitely 74. I don't know when oh, in 74, okay. but it was definitely a uh, 19 a cover dated 1974. Because Lem was writing Hulk, so yeah. He, You're right if about that. He's not that. here. He's a, he, if he's not on already. Mm-hmm. He will be here in a, within a few months if he's not already there. Mm-hmm. At least mm-hmm. for Len Wein, because. Yep. No, absolutely. We and, but it's that. We and by seventy-five, Len Wein was writing Spider-Man too. Was yeah. writing amazing. So he so. had to be on for a little bit to give him Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no. So like I said, you have these new breeds of writers. You saw what Stan was doing, and even Roy Thomas said you could put him a little further because he was in the sixties, starting doing those things. And now mm-hmm. this next breed is taking us further. We're further planning and plotting mm-hmm. of what we're going to do, and here's how we're setting these things up. And plus, I love some of the things of the Bronze Age. I love this whole. Uh, the caption box with like the third person narration. Your yeah. name is Captain Marvel. Yes, you feel this, and you will do this with your righteous. You so know, it's like the you. It's not the I'm thinking this. It's not the narrator just saying Captain Marvel thinks. It's you know, like talking to him. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's funny actually because I think that was, in, at least in terms of scripting, that was. Very much. I know a, a couple of different writers used it, but I'm thinking, you know, it, it, it's largely here in the Captain Marvel, and also I've seen it a lot in. Um, I know it's in Iron Fist. In Iron Fist, which I haven't read yet. I want to because that's part of the whole Claremont Burn axis that, you know, they were doing Power Man and Iron Fist, so of course it became Power, Power Man, Man and Iron Fist. Fist. But my point is, is that that also turned up a lot in the uh, horror titles. You got a lot of that in Werewolf by Night yeah. and uh, Tomb of Dracula. Dracula and. And uh, uh, the the short-lived but brilliant uh, um, monster of Frankenstein. I still need, I was telling Doc, me and John were talking about the other day. I so need that. I don't know if it's on the Marvel app or not. I, I don't mean, think it is. But I need. To, I wanted to get the essential, and now I don't know how much harder it's going to be now because they don't do the essentials anymore. Some of, that was. I tell you right down to uh, complete side uh, note here, but uh, I'll tell it anyway because I think you'll you may or may not find it interesting. When I was a kid. I didn't know who any of these people were. I didn't know to who 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 was writing that at the time. I don't remember. Which book? Uh, 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 Frankenstein when that it started. I don't know. Um, but the art was by Mike Plug. Yes, and it was such good art, such good. Because he does art. a lot of Werewolf by Night too. No, he did. He did a lot of the horror stuff, and I loved it. I loved it. But anyway, the reason I bring it up is okay. So I'm a little kid, and I'm loving on the Power Record stuff, and I've got the. Uh, I had, uh, I had the FF and the Captain America. And the I Spider-Man. had the Captain America. With the, the Phoenix. The name of your destroyer is Phoenix. Same difference. They're both in Arizona. Mm-hmm. You know. Yes. I, I remember and this the so Fantastic well. Four. And the I, way it began. I didn't have that, but I did have uh, the Incredible Hulk at bay. I had that too. Get stick. Out of Hulk's face. Actually, I had the before Hulk breaks it. I had the '78 record, so I didn't have the books. Okay, it just had this, it had like four of them on there. Oh, really? No, I had the books and the '45. So yeah, so, so I had the, yeah, I had those three as well as uh, Spider-Man with the Man Wolf. Okay, I didn't have that, but anyway, so so and one of them that I had was. Frankenstein, which was actually, it was a conglomeration of several, of a few of the first few issues, and it was really gorgeously done, and I listened to the hell out of that record and read that book, and the reason I say it is because the artwork is so evocative. Mike Plug, and I didn't know who that was at the time, but Mike Plug's artwork is so good that while I was reading it, there's a great scene right in the middle where, where Dr. Victor Frankenstein is actually gestating the monster in his tank. Oh, and it's so, it took me so there that I felt like I could smell the, the badness. You know what I'm saying? Like I could smell the 
foul odor of death and chemicals. Like, literally, I can remember being eight years old and smelling this awful smell. And I don't know why, but it was just like the way my mind took me there from the art. So I just... A complete side tangent, nothing to do with Captain Marvel or uh, Thanos, except that it was Marvel. this. Except that it was this era of comics, and when 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 new ways of telling these stories were being used. But I just want to say, cannot praise Mike Plug highly enough, and it's a shame that his career was so relatively short lived because yeah. he was a he was an exceptional talent. Like I forgot that this exists. I'm gonna have to listen to that now because God do and and I had the werewolf one too. That was the the yeah. like the sort of it was interesting because the werewolf one the the the, the werewolf by night one um, sort of mashed up the early uh, issues of of werewolf by night with I believe a crossover with Tomb of Dracula. They did do that and they just mashed it all into one like 25 page like little book. It but was yeah, great. Before those essentials are too got, uh, high up. I mm-hmm. need to try and find that Frankenstein one because also those horror ones are great black mm-hmm. and white because mm-hmm. I already have. Three of the four Draculas, mm-hmm. although I'm not too... Well, I want the last Dracula, but at least that the, the main Tomb of Dracula series is over by the third volume, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's all like the Dracula lives stuff. Mm-hmm. So not bad to have, but at least it's not as important to the main story, let's say. Mm-hmm. But I need the Frankenstein one. It's like the other ones. And also they have two volumes of the essential Marvel horror, mm-hmm. which is like all the other characters that did, they don't have enough to fill... Right, They're like right. Scarecrow, It the Living Colossus, the Mummy, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all stuff, all the stuff that turned up in like Marvel premiere and Marvel. Yeah, Spotlight. and they got like two, yeah. three, maybe four issues each, but that was it, mm-hmm. and they didn't make further. So I have the second volume of that. I need the first volume. Okay, because anyway. yeah, Marvel horror and black and white is from the seventies is awesome. Oh, it really is. You just, I just can't between Colin and Plue. Gene Colin, oh, Gene Colin, Gene Colin and Mike Plue, man, it's just that was art. That was good comic art. Yes. God. Anyway. Anyway. Back so, to back to the topic at hand of Captain Marvel number twenty seven. Uh, so uh, big big fights happen and and what I forget what goes. Oh, there was a, a globe. What was up with the globe? Uh, Thanos, oh, Thanos the globe gave the globe to. Yeah, when um, Thanos is leaving and Super Scrolls like, mm-hmm. but, but 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 what about the, 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 the destroyer? Mm-hmm. And he's like, here, have this globe thingy. It will protect you. Uh huh. And we find me out. Thinks, that, me thinks Thanos uh, kind of. Uh, uh, here's some sugar. It, it, here's a placebo. It'll make yeah, you feel yeah, better. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you'll be fine, dude. Just hold the fort, and 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 if these rampaging hordes happen to overtake you, don't worry. You won't die because this sphere will protect you. Absolutely. And it looks like Thanos just grabbed the snow globe off his. Uh, yeah, exactly. Mantle. Because not only does Super Skull pass out, mm-hmm. or possibly. Die because he's laying there with his eyes open. Mm-hmm. He drops it and shatters it. So it's in, it's not even like, as far as I know, that we're gonna find out later. Oh, he just didn't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He just it shatters. Now, what happens here to the Super Scroll though? Does he just like pass out or and or away from his injuries from the collapse of this building? Or I'm I'm sure. I you don't know because I because because Marvel is addressing him like you know combat was your life scrawl and it was ugly your death is by combat as well and it too has no beauty and I'm thinking so is he saying that the super scrawl is dead here it looks like as I mean he's laying there with his eyes open and and all like you know Ooh. unless we're gonna find out you know that's gonna be their retcon later next time he appears uh-huh. Captain Marvel told us you were dead I was unconscious I sleep with my eyes open. Yeah. <laughs> No one knew that. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. All scrolls sleep with their eyes open. So basically, by an act of God, basically, uh, 
the uh, place sort of explodes around them, and the, in that way does the new Titan revolution win the day. Yeah, although to be fair, the Titans, they were pretty powerful. I have a feeling it was mostly Thanos who was knocking everybody around, mm-hmm. and then all mm-hmm. his goons just kind of just dogpiled on everybody as they were weak and tired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how they were to capture them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they have, I don't think they have, a, they have not established it here yet, but these are Eternals. Mm-hmm. Okay. These are the Eternal, you know, these are Eternals of Titan. They were, you know, they were... Related to the Eternals of Earth, or... Yes, I believe, actually, Mentor is Zorus's brother or something like that. Oh, interesting. Or, or, I was about to say, where they have the same father. Now, when was that established? Later on. Later on, okay. Because here it's not it. But either way, whether it was Mentor... No, um, because Kronos is Mentor's father. Okay. So it was either... I think Kronos was the one that left, so maybe he's Zorus's brother. But they are related to, like, the, the Eternals of Earth. Okay, fair enough. And they ended up leaving for whatever reason and going to Titan. And moving up there. Okay. So, but and and but as as we progress here through the aftermath of the of the big you know fight, um, the caption uh, points out that the victory is a little hollow. It says, "For what? Titan is still enslaved. Thanos nears the cosmic cube. Destruction still lies in waiting. So, what was the point of all of this? I mean, yeah, you got rid of the super scroll, but well, they got. The- I guess a free part of Titan, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I love how this is so like, the answer, perhaps for everything, perhaps for nothing. Red, the writer has no idea yet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can see a bit where he's going with that. On the other hand, it's like, should they just say, oh, well, we're enslaved? Mm-hmm. Well, that no. That kind of sucks. No, but they're still enslaved. So was there a point to this? You know, it's like, was there, was there, a, was there a strategy in mind here? Or is it just, uh, um, yeah. And uh, I, I just, the last thing I want to comment about uh, Captain Marvel number 27 here is the last panel um, where Captain Marvel goes to um, uh, Avengers Mansion. He is transported back to Earth and he winds up in Avengers Mansion uh, where he, uh, um, he and Rick, you know, his Rick consciousness, see Luann there. And this panel, the art is just makes me unintentionally laugh because Luann's breaths yes. are rendered ridiculously. They look like she's, you know, got a couple of little... Um, she looks like she has coffee mugs underneath her... Coffee blouse. mugs underneath her blouse. And also, uh, the uh, well, for lack of... For no other way to say it, Captain Marvel's package is also rendered un... Intentionally, hilariously bulgy. Yeah, well, it's sticking out because all of what's left, less of his costume mm-hmm. is burned. Half is burned off and falling. Mm-hmm. Everything that's there is red, except right there on his crotch mm-hmm. is all dark blue. Yeah, exactly. So it stands out, and the, and the highlights, the light blue highlights on it, just make it look bulgy, and it's yeah. ridiculous. So anyway, the rendering. And she in looks this. like you know we can't. The girl's supposed to play Luann isn't back. You know, isn't here yet. We only need her to lay down. Hey, Tommy. Yeah. Just put this wig on here. Stick these coffee cups under your shirt. Yeah, exactly. That'll It'll work. Be fine. I should have coffee cups. More like uh, those those red cu- those red plastic cups. You yes, yes, yeah, solo cups. Yeah, solo red cups. solo, red solo cups. cups. Yeah, they're stuck under there. Like yeah, that's it's... what those look like. Breast, right? Yeah, yeah. Good enough. Good enough. Good enough for good. Good enough for the shot. We'll we'll shoot it. You know, you're so... in there for five seconds. Just, yeah. let, just close your eyes. Exactly. So oh crap, he didn't shave. And the destroyer return, as, and it teases the return of the destroyer. That we know that's Drax. So yeah, well, because we saw Thanos and uh, Drax face off, and face issue, off. But all we saw them was them face off. Nothing happened. Right, exactly. So we will see more of that in the next issue, and thus Which endeth. Is, yep. Captain Marvel number twenty-seven. And now it's time for us to do Captain Marvel twenty-eight. So yes, now is when we are going to drop in the handy dandy friendly description. Synopsis. synopsis, that thing, yeah, That's you the know, word the blow by blow. The word I can remember. Yeah. 
So we're going to have that for you guys, and then we're, Brian and I will be back. Captain Marvel 28. When Titans Collide. The cover date of September 1973, and went on sale on June 26th, 1973, with a cover price of 20 cents. The plot is by Jim Starlin. The script for Chapter 1 and 3 was by Mike Friedrich, and the script for Chapter 2 is by Jim Starlin. The art is also by Jim Starlin. Inker, Dan Green. Letterer, Tom Maroshevsky. And colorist, again, Jim Starlin. Edited by Roy Thomas, and the cover art is by Jim Starlin and Pablo Marcos. This issue is broken up into three chapters, with the first page, a splash page, having nothing to do with the story, just showing most of the different characters who will appear. Chapter 1 starts in Avengers Mansion. Rick Jones is there with the Avengers. Captain America, Iron Man, Black Panther, Scarlet Witch, and The Vision, looking over the unconscious form of his girlfriend, Luann. While Rick informs the Avengers what has been happening to him and Captain Marvel recently, we see Marvel in the negative zone as he sees a bizarre creature appear and disappear before his eyes. We also see that there is an intruder inside Avengers Mansion. Rick changes places with Marvel, who cooperates his story with the Avengers. The Black Panther goes to get Iron Man's log of his encounter with Thanos from Iron Man 55 or Resurrections Episode 12, and is clobbered by the mysterious villain who we only see in shadow, and looks very much like Thanos. Iron Man tells Captain Marvel that he recognizes the control device used on Luan, as the Vision goes to check on the Black Panther, and is taken out as well. The others hear this, and Captain America and the Scarlet Witch go to investigate. They too are taken out quickly, although Captain America at least does get a chance to fight back, leaving Iron Man and Marvel to watch over Luan. Iron Man goes to assist, and we only hear the sounds of this battle. Finally, the winner steps forth from the shadows to reveal himself to Captain Marvel. It is... The Controller. Chapter 2 features Thanos and Drax facing off in Louisiana for the Cosmic Cube, as Thanos finally, officially acknowledges that his cloak companion of the last few issues is in fact death. Thanos and Drax fight via time-mind sync warp, which appears to be a battle on the physical, mental, and metaphysical planes. The reality we see that this battle takes place in is kind of twisted. It appears to take place in the mind and soul, as well as in physical reality. And it gives us some hint to Drax's origins. In the end, Drax is able to break free of the sink warp, but the strain of doing so knocks him out, and so Thanos is able to get the cube. In Chapter 3, we go back to Avengers Mansion to see the fight between the Controller and Captain Marvel. We learn that not only do the discs give the controller control over the people wearing them, but with each mind he has, he grows stronger, and with as many as he currently has, Captain Marvel guesses the controller's strength would be near Thor's. The controller plants one of his discs on Marvel, but since both Captain Marvel and Rick Jones are linked, their two minds are able to override it. Unable to control the captain, the controller uses his strength to rip down the wall of heavy machinery to tumble on top of him. Taking Luan with him, the controller leaves Captain Marvel buried in the rubble. However, we see it is not Captain Marvel who's buried, but Rick Jones, and no matter how many times he bangs the negabands together, nothing happens. That ends Chapter 3, and we end the issue with a one-page entitled Prologue. On a foreign planet, Captain Marvel comes face-to-face -face with the being known as Eon. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we 
read comics, and then talk about comics, because as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you're making me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. Akers Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. And this is the part where we're back. Yes. It's, it, it feels an awful lot like the part before we were back, but... It almost uh, feels like it was only a second or two. And what? Actually, it was just a second. It was. No, hold on. I, okay, yeah. No. But it was like, long enough for me to... Edit long, enough for you, long enough for you to drop in that synopsis, and uh, I'm sure it was a fine synopsis. Yes. Hopefully. <laughs> I'm probably going to write it the day before this episode actually goes out. Oh, hey, okay. Um, so we start with the cover of Captain Marvel number 28. We have Thanos, a ghostly Thanos behind addressing a bunch of unconscious Avengers. And the last man standing is, of course, Marvel, seeing as how this is his book. Yeah, he, and it's, and it's a tra- it almost looks like Avengers Mansion had been just completely destroyed. Mm-hmm. Now, I wonder... Behold, he says here what 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 Thanos oh, is saying. Oh yeah! Behold, Marvel. Even the mighty Avengers feel like leaves before my power, and I, that I just go with lettering mistake. Yeah, because I'm fall. S- that's supposed to be fall like leaves. I mean, a little presumptuous, Thanos. You don't know how the Avengers feel. Yeah. Well, right now they're not feeling much, but unconscious. And and once again, we're fighting. We're we're we're, we're getting into already. We're getting into this endless fight theme thing because Marvel's response is, "But I will fight you, Thanos, and I will triumph or die," which is kind of <sighs> that's not a terribly uh, original or or that's not new information contained in that. So, eh, well, I mean, to be fair, also like, what kind of new response are you looking for? No, I know, I know, I know. But basically, but Thanos, I will fight you. Or dress like a chicken. Yes. No, your I, choice. Your choice, yes. Let me know now. But they see that at least would be intriguing. I guess my point is it's like, okay, you're trying to attract readers with the cover. <laughs> I will but... fight you, Thanos, after my tuba lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but first, we polka. Um, but uh, anyway, so on the, real quick, though, before we get to that. On, mm-hmm. So we do have Avengers. So on the cover, we have Iron Man here, mm-hmm. Captain America, mm-hmm. Scarlet Witch, mm-hmm. Vision, mm-hmm. and the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Although the Black Panther almost looks like he could be awake, depending on which way you're looking at it. Yeah. Because, well, for one thing, you can't see eyes in his costume. That's true. I That's mean, true. you can't really an Iron Man either, but Iron Man is definitely laying prone on top of rubble with his head to the side. So he mm-hmm. definitely looks unconscious. The Black Panther almost looks like he's kneeling. Yeah, he could be kneeling. He, I think he is. I'm getting like a three-point stance out of him. So. Yeah. So, cool. Black Panther. Yeah, no. You know, didn't take the out Bla- the Black Panther. The Black Panther is badass. Yeah, so Thanos didn't take out the Black Panther. Or will it be Thanos? Mmm. Oh, yeah, you know this because I did the synopsis already, so you know it's the controller. Never mind. Okay, fine. So, but 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 doing Thanos is bidding because he's yet another thrall of Master Lord Thanos. Yes. But again, you know that. And this is kind of a flashback page. Like, the, they haven't done these in a while, I think. Mm-hmm. These splash pages that have nothing to do with the main story, really. They're just mm-hmm. kind of like secondary covers. Yeah, no, the, the, the classic... I mean, that's a Silver like, Age thing, definitely, but... This is really a Marvel specialty from the Silver Age into the Bronze Age. Well, no, DC did this a lot too in the Silver Age, no, no, where you have like that secondary cover in the first page. That's not what I'm. What I'm saying is this: what Marvel specialty is 
is the pimp page. It's the um, face it reader. This one's got it all. They did that so often in so many different titles, and I don't know if I don't know if DC did that. If DC had that sort of carnival barker, huckster, hypster uh, uh, personality to its comics at any point that Stan really just integrated into the atomic fabric of Marvel comics. So throughout the 60s and well into the 70s, many comics would start by telling you, uh, get ready for action, reader, or, you know, this one's got it all. And and that's exactly what it says here on the first page. That's kind of what I was getting at, is that's really very much a Marvel thing, I think. And no, that's true. It is mostly a Marvel thing with the, the Stanley Huckster, like Carnival uh-huh. Barker type thing. But DC did somewhat do that. I would say, though, DC did it more in the voice of, let's say, the announcer from the Batman TV show in the 60s. Okay, okay. You know I mean, very matter of fact, like, you know, how, you know, because they would have like these initial, these have these splash pages that were, weren't part of the story. Mm-hmm. Like I said, they're like a secondary cover. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I know, at least, I forget exactly when DC stopped doing it, but I know Marvel at this point, for the most part, it stopped doing it. Mm-hmm. They would still do the Huckster type thing, but it would be on the main, and they would still have a splash page, but the splash page would actually be part of the actual story. Mm-hmm. And they would do it on that page. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, I mean, I, well, I didn't say on air, but I told you, I had read at least one of the issues for the Friends and Enemies Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. and the first page does, it is part of the story, mm-hmm. but they also do have that whole Huckster's, you know, yeah. that thing in there. Yeah. It's DC, that, that Marvel Comics voice, I mean, yes. it was part of the personality DC of the company. DC would have that, but it would be like, can you guess how the Flash will get out of yes. this one? Yes, I have so seen that one. So it was more like, like I said, the best way I can think of it is more like the announcer on the Batman TV show. You know, how will Batman the Cape Crusader get out of this one? Yeah. You know, in a way, it's funny because it really does betray, like, the sort of different focuses. Because, like, that, that sort of, like, how will the Flash get out of this one? That's almost like, that. that has a very... You know, hey kids, kind of aspect well, to DC it. You know, people... hey kids, are you scared? Do you think that that Superman's finally met his end? Well, read on to find out. You know what I'm saying? I would Whereas... almost think that the DC on DC those were written by the editors, and then the rest no, right. stories by the, the absolutely. Actual I would agree with that. And DC's editors and stuff were more the older generation, uh-huh. suit and tie wearing, yes, people coming in, and this is our job. But at this point, they were getting the same writer, a lot of the same people writing for the Right, by this had. time, so Daniel Neal was over there. They had these damn hippie and... kids running around writing it, but they did what they were told, and they got the stuff on time, and it sold, so that's all that cared about it. Now, I, but I, Marvel's, Marvel had more of their staff of editorial, like with Stan Lee and right. people were in charge, where they were more into that kind of thing. Right. Where the editor, you know, in DC, their editorial was more, you know, we've been doing this for the last 40 years, so this is my job, I'm a professional, I'm wearing a suit and tie, and... No, absolutely. You know. I, I think it's just it's just interesting to me that that it's just you know, and I mean, it, I'm just saying it's interesting how the, the the fact that the two companies had different personalities um, is very much uh, revealed in the fact that they had different voices. DC, even into its more mature '70s phase, with you know Denny O'Neill and Neil Adams and 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 all them starting to write for them. Yeah, um, still appeared to be largely speaking to and marketing to a younger crowd. Whereas Marvel, their voice betrays that they're selling a product to people with autonomy and money and with money and the autonomy to yeah, spend on their own. So they were they were speaking more to a teenage and and college audience. And I just find that that's an interesting thing to observe is is the way the different personalities manifest themselves in the voices. That's oh, all I'm, yeah. I'm getting at. But it's just weird also, just this, on the basic of 
forgetting that part even that that, mm-hmm. that Starlin chose to go with this old cover thing where it doesn't really tell you any doesn't really continue the story. It's just no, kind of- ag- agreed. And last thing I will observe about this is the credits. Um, it's just for the f- yes, perhaps the first time in history. Um, I'm I'm feeling a continuity between the early '70s and my youth. I was one year old in 1973, so I would not have been reading this first run. Like I would not have had the 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 consciousness or ability to buy and read this when it first came out. That said, when I see a, uh, in the credits anchor Dan Green and letterer Tom Orzechowski, well, yes. among the very first comic books I ever bought was uh, Uncanny X Men number two ten, which was inked by Dan Green. And lettered by Tom Orzachowski. So... Oh, yeah. Um, and that's a full uh, uh, 12 or 13 years later than this. That's actually one of the first so, X-Men books I had, too. Yeah. Was so, 210. The Come On, Mess of Us, Make Our Day. Bingo. Exactly. Exactly. Wonderful John Romita Jr. art. Chris Claremont at the height of his powers. The very beginning of the Mutant Massacre. Yes. Um, just all good stuff. But I guess uh, the point I'm Tommy. making... Uh, the Rainbow Girl. Yes, but I guess my point yes. is is that you know all of a sudden you know we're we're out of the you know Jack Kirby, uh, Chick Stone, uh, Artie Simic days, and now we're really seeing um, the 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 genesis like the the first work of the creative uh, staves that would be part of my youth a full decade later. That's kind of cool to me. Yeah, and actually, it's something now looking at this with the credits. It's something I've forgotten about that. While they were now fully doing, I mean, when Marvel started, they would do like a full issue story mm-hmm. for the most mm-hmm. part. I think, I mean, it, but they would break them up into chapters. Always, yes. But they weren't, except for books like Tales of Suspense or Tales of Astonish, like the Fantastic Four would have the whole issue. Right. You know, it would be one story. It wouldn't be like. Or maybe two. Like, I can think of some early well, issues of Spider Man or the Hulk. But I think Spider Man was originally supposed to be. Continuing in Amazing Fantasy, okay, yeah, for a few issues, yeah, which is why those first two or three issues of Spider-Man have two stories in it, and then afterwards they go to full, full, they go exactly. to full issue story because it would have that think would have been like Amazing Fantasy. 16, 17, 18, 19. And it was just the nature of the early 60s. That was very yeah. much a transitional time between that, you know, the 10-issue story being, the, the 10-page story right. being the standard well, you versus get, the, what you would eventually be the book Superman, length. There'd be three Superman stories. Right, and ultimately the book length Yeah, and uh, when they did the book length ones, the there still would be multiple chapters. Exactly. And then Marvel has definitely gotten away from that. And that's something Starlin does, though. Not just here, but I can definitely remember Starlin doing that several times in his... He... Apparently there were things in the Silver Age he did like that he brought back in. Like he does, apparently he liked using this one special secondary cover as a splash page, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he does like doing chapters, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like gives breaking it, his book up. Gives it an epic feel, you know. I mean, I think also you know, Cree Scroll War did that because, and that was Maybe. that was something remember. that in in certain issues for sure. Uh, okay, and and I think that was in a way, um, and I'm just guessing at this, but it's an educated guess that that was Thomas who wrote it. Grew up loving the pulp sci-fi of the 30s and 40s um that was very much sort of a throwback to those old pulp you know like you would buy astounding stories edited by john campbell and it would have like this nearly novel length thing in it that was broken up into chapters with thrilling space fights and stuff so i think thomas sort of evoked the spirit of that in the kree scroll war and i think starlin is very much inspired by and working in the vein of the kree scroll war with these issues so maybe that's a bit of what uh is is inspiring him to do the chapter thing. plus it does make it easier to do break up the credits because mm-hmm. this entire issue is now plotted he is plotting penciling mm-hmm. doing the coloring mm-hmm. 
Jim, well, by Jim Starlin, and he does a script for chapter two, and Mike Friedrich does a, just does a script for chapter one and three. Right, so we're definitely seeing Friedrich getting phased out, and Starlin increasingly taking over full and creative I, control of Captain and Marvel. And I would have to assume the last page is also probably scripted by Starlin. Oh, um, indubitably. Even though it was called Prologue, but it's the last page, but it's a prologue to next issue. Absolutely. I have to assume that is all Starlin. I would, I would agree so, completely anyway, though, with that. Anyway, we get away from this uh, off-the-splash page. Mm-hmm. And, Chapter uh, one, Avengers Mansion, right now. Yeah. So yeah, we have um, Captain Marvel. Well, Rick Jones actually there yes. with the Avengers and telling them about what happened with uh, him recently. Why Luann's there? Yep, yep. Rick's basically, heart flame, Luann. Yeah, basically skipping over real quick what happened in the last few issues. Right, and and who, to be fair, has much better breasts here than she did the last time. We well, saw she looks her. more real, yes. more normal. Just, yeah, they don't look like you know. Coke can stuck in her shirt. Exactly. It was just so weird. It's just so weird. Anyway. It's not like we're saying, boobies! It's just, she's a woman. You draw her like she's human. And this is, this is in a way, this is a frustrating thing because, you know, we're swept up in the cosmic conflict here. Titan, you know, Thanos is trying to uh, take over the, the, the solar system or whatever. He's trying, you know, to be a conqueror. Uh, he's about to get his hands on the cosmic cube and some bad stuff is about to go down. And Captain Marvel's basically reminding him of that. This is also by way of reminding the reader, but he says, you mustn't, I understand your attachment, but you mustn't despair. We've been the Titan and back, sucked into a spatial war. I don't think that that's the right wording, no. but you know, a spatial war. Luann's affliction is only a small it's part spatial. of the conflict. This war takes this war takes up width and depth. Yes, it it, it it is on this plane and and with an X and Y axis. But anyway, my point is is that it's <laughs> but a that's little, not important right now. It's a little frustrating to read because I'm being a little older, I suppose. I'm with Captain Marvel on this. It's like there is some seriously bad stuff going down. We got to keep our eye on the bigger picture. And Rick is very adamantly like. I don't give a fig for anything outside of Luann. And it's like, wow, kid. Well, I get it that you love her, well, but... Well, he's not saying he doesn't care about He's saying he, to him she's as important as dealing with Thanos. And and, and I still think that is a deficiency in perspective on young Rick Jones' part. I know, I know. And in love with that Luann. I mean, <laughs> have you ever read Romeo and Juliet? Absolutely, absolutely. Teenagers I don't like, in love. I don't like Romeo and Juliet either. Which the I, I say, I, and I say that as a huge Shakespeare fan. No. I still don't like Romeo and Juliet. I, I don't like Romeo and Juliet either. And I'm not using that as an example of isn't it awesome? I'm using mm-hmm. an example of stupid teenagers. Stupid teenagers. No, you're right. Sorry, teenage listeners. <laughs> but you know, you get a little crazy. Trust me, I, I did back then. Oh God, the stupid things I did when I was a teenager. I have no words for. You're yes. right. You're right. Okay, fine. Your brain is gone. Uh huh. Replaced entirely by a boiling cauldron of hormones and um, rampaging emotions that you really alcohol, don't understand how to. F- if you're if you're lucky. Yes. <laughs> and sadly, I don't think Rick has had a chance to have any you know titanium ale or whatever. Yeah, ex- up there. exactly. So anyway. Um, so now this is at least something I was saying before is that Iron Man actually picked up and he says Thanos. He goes, I know who Thanos is. Yeah, yeah. You <laughs> mentioned Thanos. I skirmished, whom I skirmished with recently alongside the Destroyer. Have you gotten mixed up with him? And that, although that almost looks accusatory. It's like, what did you do, Rick? Yeah, what have you done? You know, how did you? How? Did, why are you messing around in my stomping grounds? And I like again. This is the Starling coming out that I know. The top three panels take yeah. up the whole. Two thirds, top two thirds of the page, but they're still split up into two sets, two like almost two panels each. Mm-hmm. Even though they're mm-hmm. all one, the top half is Captain Marvel seeing something strange and weird, which we know to be Eon, right? While he's hanging in the negative zone, while the bottom part is Rick talking to the Avengers, 
but it's not like three panels of Rick. It's the first panel is Rick with the Black Panther facing him in the back half of like Cap's head, and then the second panel you have the other half of Cap's head and Iron Man, and then the last panel has Iron Man's shoulder. Yeah, with the Scarlet Witch. It's it's a very interesting uh, layout uh, 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 choice. Very slick. I think, and I find it interesting because, like, this is all this this sort of uh, the negative zone stuff happening at the top of it, uh, definitely more abstract and whatnot. It, it it really this is all of a sudden kind of stuff. It's like out of nowhere, with no warning and no lead up, Captain Marvel in the negative zone is seeing Eon just yes. popped out of nowhere, and we know it's Eon instantly because the the in the second panel, Eon says to itself, which I don't uh, remember him doing in Quasar. Uh, the crisis ultimate nears, Eon. Shall I act? No, Eon. I love that these, you know, yeah. no, Eon. Himself. The tension must yet rise. Like, it's almost like it's the writer talking because he says, the, no, Eon, the tension must yet rise more. Then shall come the time. And it's like, we're just, we're just letting everybody get more tense. It's like, what the hell is up with this? Yeah, I'm curious. Look, definitely it's one thing I want to pick, I want to look for in the next few issues to see if Eon's voice changes mm-hmm. because, my most of my reading for Eon uh-huh. was in the eighties. Well, it actually was in the nineties, but mm-hmm. the nineteen eighty nine Marvel series Quasar. Okay, and because Eon was a supporting character, I don't know if you read Quasar, but I've I've never read Eon Quasar's book character. proper, except for as a crossover with other stuff like, say, Operation Galactic Storm. He's or... a supporting character for like the first twenty or so issues before he um, dies. Eon is yes. Okay, spoilers for. Like twenty years now, yeah. Anyway. yeah, yeah. But but Eon does not talk like that, so I'm just wondering if that was something that changed somewhere between the 70s and the 80s, or mm-hmm. if like Starlin kind of drops. It's one of those things where like it did happen a lot in the Bronze Age, especially where something would happen and then they would kind of go, eh, I guess not, and they would kind of drop that later. Like mm-hmm. certain ways of speaking or acting would just be changed, like a few like, after an issue or two, because they were like that kind of sucked or that was annoying to do. Yeah, yeah. But um, now, now some now someone uh, is invading the Avengers mansion. Yeah, but what I like is man. the la- the last panel on this page. Part of me thinks, you know, wow, they uh, uh, good on them for giving a panel to replacing Captain Marvel costume. On the flip side, there's another part of me that says, wow, they gave an entire panel to replacing Captain Marvel's costume. Like, so I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but there it is. So yeah. But so they switch, and then Marvel somehow, you know, changes because yep. he is definitely fully bare chested here. Marvel and his hairy chest are back, and he changes. And he's giving them the whole backstory of what Thanos is up to with the Cosmic Cube. And mm-hmm. obviously, at this point, Captain America and Iron Man both know what the Cosmic Cube is because they mm-hmm. are both a little freaked out. Yeah. So yeah. we've gone through that part. So I know the Cos- well, Captain America is in the original Cosmic Cube story anyway. So yes. we know he knows, but I guess Iron Man was involved in that too somehow. Mm-hmm. And the mystery realize. man is eavesdropping and saying, helpless that you are, but not because of the cube alone. And and I'm wondering if this is one of the reasons he picked this character, because as we know from the synopsis, this is the controller. Yes. But in the shadows, they make him look like Thanos. Thanos, exactly. Because he has a similar similar build. Mm-hmm. He similar a, headset. He has a little similar... headset thing on his, and he has a similar like the shoulder things that stick up on the sides. And it's interesting to me. That that is not something that Starlin invented just for this appearance. I've recently uh, feasted my eyes on the original 71, 70, 71, uh, 1970, 1971 issues of uh, Iron Man. That had the controller? That introduced uh, the controller as a villain. 
And that was kind of how he dressed, which makes me, which begs the question, forces me to wonder if Starlin did not initially choose the controller. Like you think, yeah, the controller's ability is useful and 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 plays into this overarching, overcomplicated, admittedly overcomplicated plot yeah. by Thanos to take over the solar system. But on the flip side, you have to wonder if somewhere in the like, if maybe Starlin ultimately said. Well, if I make the controller one of Thanos' minions, then I can pull this shadowy misdirect. I would assume so, because that's what he's doing here. So, the Black Panther is going to get the uh, record tape that Iron Man made of his encounter with Thanos and the Destroyer, mm-hmm. so they can mm-hmm. review it. And while he's gone, he's probably not paying attention, and... Yep. The, bonked right on the head. I like I like that you make it sound like he uh, uh, just got... Clocked by a like by a children's uh, building block. No, he gets. I'll see you know, the coconut fall. Yeah, yeah, coconut yeah. falling from a tree. No, no, he gets full on like thumped. You know, thumped by a by this beefy dude. And at least also they're use what they're using is they're actually having them be intelligent because Iron Man is face to control, like you said. Yes. And Iron Man is here talking to Cap, and he's saying, "Well, I don't, you know, I can't talk about where the cube is, but I know this disc that's controlling the wind on the back of my neck. I know what this is. Yes, I recognize it because, uh, and if you say Thanos is behind it, then already he's infiltrated Earth to an alarming degree. And it is interesting, like, that he, that he has gone to, the, it makes you wonder why Thanos is going to this kind of elaboration, uh, these sort of elaborate lengths in his plot. Well, as we've seen, Thanos does go very elaborate. He, he does. does not go with uh, the very simple solution. Yeah, no. That bores him. Yeah, no. He he needs to entertain himself while he's pursuing his goals. Thanos likes to goals. go the most complex route possible. Mm-hmm. He's like... He, what is it? Um, That horrible comic strip from the newspaper. Family Circus. Yeah, yeah. He's little Billy. When they show the thing of Billy saying, Billy, go next door and get some milk. And yeah. then they show the entire neighborhood map and the little dotted lines of that, where Billy went all over the neighborhood mm-hmm. except for next door. And finally got next door to like what looks like probably like three hours. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, but I'm going to hop the fence here. I'm going to put the dog over here. I'm going to go over here. and I'm going to watch the kids play baseball. And then I'm going to jump in the stream. Mm-hmm. And that's Thanos. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm not going to – I could just walk next door. I could just get the cosmic cube and subject everyone to my will. But first, I am going to infiltrate the governments of Earth with this mind-controlling minion of mine, and then I am going to engage the services of a pair of scrolls to disguise themselves as various super beings. And it's like, like really, it's like you're right. He's he's Billy from the family circus. Yeah. And but meanwhile, we don't learn reading the story. It's a controller yet because while Iron Man's about to tell us who it is, uh-huh. we told Captain Marvel, Vision. You know, we also we changed the. Follow the vision. Right. Which at least is better than just saying, having them go, here's the plan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, at least they pulled away. But yeah, I like vision. Black Panther must have trouble finding this. Yes. I will help him. I will. Speed is of the essence, perhaps. I'd best help him. Yeah. That's silly T'Challa. He doesn't know what he's doing. I'll go show him. And then he gets stuff thrown at his head and knocked out. Mm-hmm. Because the vision didn't know not to be, to, didn't know to be intangible at the time. Mm-hmm. So, fair is fair. So, but in her rush to aid her beloved, the Scarlet Witch, you know. Yeah, Captain Scarlet Witch go to deal with, find out, and Scarlet Witch, of course, it's smacked down. It mm-hmm. slapped. Mm-hmm. He even says slap. He's yeah, open hand. Slap hand-handed. is the, yeah, it's like literally. He just slapped her down. And Cap is actually the only one that gets actually, so far, that actually gets a bit of a fight in yeah, yeah, no, he actually puts up a bit of a fight, but, but even he. Only about four panels worth. Yeah. And then taken out. And then Iron Man goes, leading Captain Marvel to guard the WAN. Mm-hmm. So now it's all Iron Man and Cap. 
Well, Cap's down, so it's just Iron Man, actually. No, Captain Marvel. I oh, mean. that, yeah, one it, Cap. We're reading Captain Marvel, so in this book, he's Cap. Good point. You know? And I do like that you don't see what happens with Iron Man. You just hear... You're, you're, you're like with Captain Marvel, so you just mm-hmm. hear sounds of fight. Mm-hmm. Although I like how they use the uh, once, twice, thrice. Yes. But also what I, what I, what I find interesting is um, that they really did... The Avengers became like the stereotypical horror movie teens here. It's yes. like, so-and-so's not back yet. I'll go by myself to investigate what's happened. Oh, wait. Dun, 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 dun. Hey, what's that axe coming towards my face? Yes, everybody is gone here. Where, where, where I'm the only one left. I'd better go see what happened to them. Off into the darkness you go. It's like, meanwhile, in Avengers the 13th. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and here, of course, we have a nice cool reveal because Captain Marvel thinks it's Thanos. Mm-hmm. And he's like, come here, Thanos. Gonna, let's get it on. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not Thanos. I'm the controller. And dun, the controller's dun, dun. really freaky looking. He and he always was. He always had that ridiculously scarred up face. Scarred face and like I have I, to say, Stan, um, Jim Starlin is doing a much more compelling rendering of how scarred his face is. Um, it was rendered that way. The original his original appearances in Iron Man were, I believe, penciled by George Tusca and inked by Johnny Craig, and I think it was a lot more. A short, like a lot simpler. Like mm. they indicated it, but it was almost Never. by inference rather than by it depicting the. Also, looks like he had a stroke because mm-hmm. the way, like, you see the one mouth, like, mm-hmm. it almost looked like the one side just kind of hanging there, one side of his face, same with yeah. his eyes, sagging too. like a like a Bell's palsy kind of a deal. Yeah, so it makes it look really freaky. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that ends chapter one. Yes. Now we move on to chapter two, which was not just plotted but scripted by Starlin, which is appropriate because now we are out of the Marvel Universe proper and full on into the Starlin-verse. Because the only characters here are Thanos, Thanos' hooded, robed sidekick. Who actually we get apparently named in the third panel. And Drax the Destroyer. Destroyer. Yeah. So Drax is there. They're facing off on these tunnels in Louisiana. Mm Mm-hmm. And then I like this. Uh, yeah, Thanos again, like we said, with his plans. You know, he mm-hmm. even says it here. Once again, you meddle with my carefully laid plans, Destroyer. I refuse to tolerate further interference from one such as you. But yeah, this is definitely Thanos. Like, I have my plans. Uh huh. I this had is- my elaborate Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah. Why are you getting in the way? Mm-hmm. Put the chicken back down. It has to lay the egg. Yeah, exactly. And put the basket back up at the top of the pole. Yeah. Because when the egg falls and hits the thing and makes the shoe fly around, that's going to kick the basketball into the basket. It's it's clearly Thanos's favorite game growing up was Mousetrap. <laughs> clearly Thanos's you know main inspiration as a child was Foghorn Leghorn. Yes, yes, I say, I say, I say, Drax, I refuse to tolerate further interference from such as such as you, boy. Boy, pay attention, so, boy. Are you listening to me? Now, here's what's interesting because now Thanos introduces Drax the Destroyer to yes. death. And I have to wonder, why is Thanos carting death around with him? At first, I th- honestly thought, when I first became aware of Thanos as a character and the fact that he tots death around with him, like as a sidekick, I figured, you know, th- the Greek word for death, or the Greek In name Thanos. for the, pers- for the, for the, for the right? personification of death is Thanatos. Oh, Thanatos. Thanatos. So the na- the fact that he was named Thanos, I thought that Thanos was not. I didn't know at the time that he was just some alien. Basically, I thought he was literally like death. the agent of death or the embodiment of death himself. So the fact that he is like sort of carting death around with him, like it makes you wonder: doesn't death have more important things to be doing? I have to wonder at this point if this was a period of time actually where death actually wasn't a Thanos. 
Mm-hmm. And it's after, because after this, like, we don't really see him with her. Mm-hmm. You know, up until, really, Infinite Revelation. Mm-hmm. For the most part, Death is just kind of, like, strings him along or just ignores him. Right. So I have to wonder if, like, this is the big thing. Like, everything was going up until now, and Death is like, yeah, you're my man. Uh-huh. Hey, baby. Uh, okay. And then after once this whole thing fails, she's like, loser. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... So Thanos is far from Lakehorn, and apparently Death is like Snooky now. Oh jeez, <laughs> I'm making her like. <laughs> oh dear. Oh, that was an image I did not need. Thank you ever so much for that. Well, that's why she wears a hood. <sighs> well, okay, that's fair. Um, and, well, anyway, so now Drax does a very good job of reintroducing himself. I was spawned on a distant green planet. I have one purpose to my existence, and that is your destruction. destruction. Dun, dun, dun. Mm-hmm. I like that noise. <laughs> Now, this is where it gets full-on Starlin. Because oh, this is where it's freaky. Full-on Starlin, because now Thanos Thanos basically says, so be it, bring it on, you know? Bring it. And he does that, that, that thing where he, like, beckons with his hand, kind of. And uh, so now you know, face the worst of dooms, death by time, mind, sink, warp. And it's like, first of all, time, mind, sink, warp, thing... Process. The way he looks to the hit, like the way he's yelling and saying that, it mm-hmm. looks like he's actually a, a character on like Power Rangers. And I just have to wonder, like, is he doing, like, where is this power generated? Is this inherent to Thanos or is this coming from the Cosmic Cube? The time, mind, sink, warp. Well, he didn't have the cube yet. Uh huh. I don't know. I wonder if Death is helping. That could be. Yeah, it looks like because Death is standing in the middle with her arms raised, sort of um, orchestrating the deal. Yeah, so you got Thanos and Drax fighting in these frequently changing abstract Yeah, and it's getting all like drug trip. It's getting very trippy. Let's let's be blunt about it. It's getting extremely trippy, and that right there is full-on early 70s And metaphorical, because the first panel, you have them fighting each other, and it Uh says... First, be assaulted by fists of shattered illusions and broken promises. Now, oh my god, this is so Starlin. This is this right here is purest essence of Starlin. Now, menaced by sinister ghosts of past deeds and the grim, threatening specters of future evils. So, and basically, it's now more normal looking. It's not so trippy looking, but you have Drax being assaulted by look like, like five or six versions of Thanos himself. Mm-hmm. And then, feel it! Feel the power and frustration of a mind run amok. Ah, oh, it's like so 70s psych, and pop, now pop like, psych. And now they're in like, and each panel changes. Because now this panel is like just outline, kind of mm-hmm. glowing outlines of them with like what looks like reality shattering around him. Like it's like glass again. Now I have to wonder. And then we have the Escher panel. That delightful outlining and coloring of the of Drax and Thanos' arm in that in panel two here. Um... I have to wonder if that is the um, first time we see that very characteristic uh, uh, thing that Starlin's art is very much, you know, that's sort of a, later on the iconic image will be Thanos' face outlined among the stars. Yes. And that is a very much like like an idiosyncratic uh, trademark of Starlin's art. And I'm wondering if this is the first time we see that effect. Possibly. But yeah, so. then we have the Escher, Escher Castle panel. Yep. yep. In, which is, uh, such is the power of the sink warp. I have driven you mad, Destroyer. Your mind is now my slave. So basically we are in the middle of a cosmic trip, man. This is some pretty heady stuff, dude. So, and of course, but the Destroyer does not, give, does not want to give up. Mm-hmm. 
But listen, listen to the like Yogi Maharishi thing going on here. Why do you resist? Your mind imprisons you. There is no escape. It's <laughs> and you have like giant Thanos now picking up Little Destroyer and eating him and eating him. Um, go down, go you down now to the darkest reaches of your id. There you'll find it. It's twisted, gnarled, and hidden in a quarter. What is it? Insanity. <laughs> and like it's such a light show, and 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 it's hilarious. And it's funny that see this is in a way this is a misstep. It's like because because Starlin is inflicting all of this heavy, heavy, you know, like psychedelic stuff on us and everything. The only problem is that he's doing it to a character, Drax, that we don't really have a lot of attachment to. We've not seen him. He's really just this sort of brute who exists to destroy Thanos. So the fact that he's going to these great lengths to mentally and and like sort of psychologically torment Drax. In a way, it's a little bit of wasted effort. Just my thought. But then we get to the next page, which mm-hmm. is the ultimate Starlin-type page. Oh, God, yes. Because we have how many panels here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Like 35 panels. Oh, wow. On, on one page. page. Yeah. And the top page is five panels of Drax going from normal He's distorted. Okay. He's distorting. Well, he's, he starts normal, and mm-hmm. he says, I will be free, but he gets more distorted in each panel. Mm-hmm. But the bottom is the reverse of Thanos. He doesn't say anything, but the Thanos, it's... And it also goes from, from Drax from a little further out to close up to his eye, mm-hmm. but he's getting more distorted. With Thanos, he starts off close in his eye, distorted, and pulls back to normal. And in between, we have some kind of just... Weird mental image, weird images that must be. I'm assuming are mental images, probably just like flashing through Drax's brain. I guess so. Several of these things are from Drax's history. Now that and it's interesting here because you have a, a, a Badoon split up into two panels. You've got um, uh, the three panels of the eye, the disembodied eye in space, and then the three panels opposite that of the hand reaching out to, I'm guessing, a planet and crushing it in its fist. Yes. You've got Mentor, you've got Eros, and then next to Mentor, the next panel shows a mustachioed Earth fellow in a turtleneck smoking a pipe, and I have to wonder, is that in fact Arthur Douglas? I'm pretty certain it is. Okay. Just um, like if you see you see the Badoon, mm-hmm. and the Badoon is like, there's a panel, and then uh-huh. it's split up into two panels diagonally. Right. And the bottom half of the one and the top half of the other is the two sides of the Badoon, uh-huh. and do you see what the other half of the most? Yes, it's this flying saucer. With a little bitty car driving underneath it. And then a, a smoking, like, you know, ruin, and in between those is death. Yeah. Like a like like a skull like indicating death. This is some wow, you know what? Dude, if I had been alive and of like college age in nineteen seventy three, this page would have absolutely captivated me. I would have been parsing it for an hour. I probably would have smoked something funky. Above, and yeah. then this page would have blown my mind, man. Because above death you have what I believe is his wife. His wife, yes. Next to her, to the left of her. You have, I believe it's Kronos, who's mm-hmm. the one who created Drax. Yes. And then Death. Uh-huh. And above above uh, his wife, you have Titan. Mm-hmm. And then above Thanos, I mean, uh, Death and, and uh, Mentor, you have, it's interesting, you have this, this weird uh, uh, insectoid alien-looking thing crawling out of a hole. What's interesting is that if you go down below this montage, uh, in the next to last row, if you will, next to the Cosmic Cube, you have its tail. Sort of going up through a hole, and I'm like really trying to yeah, figure out the significance these, of that. All I think some of them are just 
I, I think all of these have a meaning. They somehow. all have a meaning. I'm not sure what they are. You have the uh, one of the Blood Brothers and Iron Man, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then of course you have this giant random mouth with vampire teeth. Mm-hmm. And do you see what's next to that one though? Uh, that would be the um, the uh, the the Titan Mentotron thing that uh, 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 read and stored and uh, data printed out Rick Jones's mind. Maybe because what does it say though? Do you see the Las words? Vegas? Yeah, which is where they were. Huh. Interesting. There's only one thing missing from here, but I'm wondering if maybe his mind has been blocked from it, or because they didn't realize that this person was going to exist. And that would have been, I'm sorry, right now, at this stage of the game, we'll just call her Madame McEvil. Yes. Uh, (laughs) So Drax sort of loses that mental battle. But he does not die. No, he doesn't. He is unconscious. As he is, his death is now in order. But senseless slaughter is not Thanos' way. The Destroyer no longer threatens me. Ah, oh, Thanos, so it is when a, will you learn? But it's a bit like the Thanos we were talking about in Thanos Infinity Revelation. Okay. Although I will say, yeah, you're okay with senseless slaughter. Yeah. You are. That, don't say that. You're okay with senseless slaughter. But yeah, you also have... Yeah, he's done. I don't care anymore. Well, okay, I can see at this moment where he would be like, you know, haha, I do not need to expend the energy to destroy the destroyer because now I am all powerful. Now I have the cosmic cube. And it's interesting on this page because it makes you realize, remember I said a little while ago how I thought Starlin was sort of wasting this effort on a character that we didn't have a whole lot of investment in, that being yeah. Drax the Destroyer. But we do at this point, we've, we've seen enough of Thanos to sort of have some investment in him. And what makes this really, really interesting is this whole sequence, this whole chapter two sequence, not only plotted but scripted by Starlin, does uh, sort of lead you to Thanos' triumph. He has the cosmic cube. And I guess the reason that this is a resonant moment is that I think in, in Starlin's mind, um, he is subtly giving us, in a way, Thanos as the protagonist. He's like, this is Thanos' story. And he's the the protagonist of the story, so I'm leading you through his mm, that's yeah. struggle. Because he you does will. like writing Thanos as like a protagonist, right? Much. But I'm saying I think even this early on, Thanos wasn't just a villain of the month, wasn't just the big bad. I think in a way, when you look at it a certain way, he is the subject of the story. Well, yeah, it's definitely. his story. So, well, it's probably like the two. For him, it's like the two, probably the two bookends, like the two opposites. It's, it's Thanos and Captain Marvel. Probably, probably. Both, you know, not just the hero and villain, but also doing it from completely opposite sides and reasons and everything. Especially what he's doing with Captain Marvel coming up with the whole Eon thing. Exactly, I exactly. I think that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be like a... It'd be almost like if he was doing a Fantastic Four run, you'd probably see it would be mostly about Reed Richards and Doom. Yeah. I can almost yeah, imagine. Yeah, really setting because up like... the two of them are like the mirror images of each other. The, the positive and the negative, the opposite numbers, the yin and the yang, absolutely. Yes. That's very compelling storytelling. And I like what... what, what Thanos' real create. I mean, a Starlin's real creation is Thanos. Because yes. let's face it, both Captain Marvel and Adam Warlock came from elsewhere. The neat thing about Thanos is Starlin wields him so skillfully as a protagonist slash antagonist that he is able to execute that nifty um mirror image yin yang with um, characters that he did not create with with captain marvel at one point and And then then later equally effectively with adam warlock yes that's kind of awesome so carry on so now we're so thanos has the cube thanos has the cube thus endeth chapter two now we go back to books over now we go back to... <laughs> I win. Yeah, exactly. Well, in his mind, you know, he's like, yeah, story's over. 
Now I've, I've got what I came for, and triumph is mine. Um, victory is mine. Ha 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 And now we go back to Avengers Mansion for, for chapter, chapter three, three. Mind, Mind Slave. Slave. And we got the controller fighting uh, Cap Marvel. And what is this giant... Is that on a screen, like that giant controller disc? Yeah, I think that was them looking at it before. Okay, okay. And at least they give us an explanation of why he was able to be defeated by Iron Man previously, like you said. Mm -hmm. But now he's able to take out all the Avengers. Apparently, because I didn't know this about the controllers, that when he controls somebody, apparently... Mm -hmm. The more people he controls, the more power, I guess, energy gets sent to him, the more powerful he yeah, is. Yeah, the, the discs channel the strength and mind, like the, both the physical power and the mental strength of the controlled persons into his mental wave absorbitron. Ah. So, yes, that is the controller's secret weapon, is the mental wave absorbitron. And apparently he has so many people in his control that kept Marvel even thinks that Thor would have a problem with him. Right, right, exactly. So, this is telling us why, like, this guy that Iron Man obviously beat it on his own, beat mm-hmm. on his own, was able to take out all the Avengers. Exactly. Individually and sneakily, to be fair, he took him out, you know, sneaky way. But he was but still, he still able to take out. out Captain America one-on-one. And Iron Man. And, right, exactly. But now he, gets, he pops one of those discs on Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, and this was good use of them. He neglected, didn't realize that, though, they have two minds in there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so they were overpowered in this with Rick and Cap, because you got two of them working on it. Exactly. It's like a game, almost, where in order to defeat this, you must employ two tokens rather than one. Ha-ha! You lose. And they take out, so... Yeah, he popped and, the disc and, off. He's like, it's useless. And, and, and here, this rendering of the controller is really super freaky because his eyes are super crazy with just these little cat slits for pupils. It's really freaking me out. Oh, yeah, that's you right. Know? Um, so, uh, Korea is no man's slave. There's that racial sort of... There's that, that, that racial pride thing on uh, Captain Marvel's part again. A Kree is no man's slave. Ha. And Cap does look a little smug there. Yeah, he is. He's chucking the disc at him. It's almost like mic drop. He's sort of <laughs> flicking it at him, you yeah. know. Um, so, but controller, of course, is not very does not take defeat well. Mm-hmm. He's not very gracious. And it's funny here because he says Thanos has promised me the Viceroy seat on Earth, and I'm like, yeah, he promised the Super Scroll and out with that globe. So I don't know, man, if I would uh, take that to the bank quite yet. Yeah, but at least I almost wonder if Friedrich was reading the rest, you know, the plot and everything. Goes, no, 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 we absolutely. Have to, why? Why is he working for Thanos? Uh huh. No, obviously, and that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Thanos would absolutely offer Whether his underlings keep, yeah, power. He's, of course, probably going to you know just kill him later mm-hmm, or, mm-hmm. Tur- or lock him up or whatever Thanos is going to do. Yeah, but at least it gives us a reason why this guy's helping to somebody else to conquer. Yeah, he's an dreaming. Alien. He's dreaming of ruling the Earth, you know. And I'll no be, one Thanos will, is in charge of all the solar system, everything. I'm right. governor. I'm his viceroy. Exactly. Yeah. I'm the governor of Earth. So he rips up the wall full mm-hmm. machinery and shucks it at Captain Marvel. Basically, just bringing the whole kit and caboodle down on top of him. And Eon says, "Yes, now, Eon." Yeah, he goes, now. No, he goes, "Now, Eon." Yes, Eon. I love the, I still love that. So. I love Eon talking to himself. Yeah, exactly. And so the controller takes Luann, which apparently she did escape some control. Because mm-hmm. now we have a confirmation. He thinks, uh, Captain Marvel lies buried and nothing stirs. Yep, yep. This girl escaped my control when Thanos temporarily concentrated his energies elsewhere. So, so Otherwise, the controller's... Otherwise, she reached here. Right, so the controller's control is powered by Thanos, I guess, in some way? Or maybe Thanos was actually... Had control... Because... Luan was part of the um, the the Master Lord network, if you will. 
Yeah, Lou Anne was being was part of their plan. Yeah, for, I remember for no, Operation Tree Crusher. Yeah, so maybe he gave control over to Scrag and um, Super Scroll. Mm-hmm. So at least we know when Lou Anne wasn't under control. When she went to Avengers Mansion and asked for help, that was when she was free. Mm-hmm. Any other time before him, we have to assume that we've seen her in this since from twenty five on. Mm-hmm. She was under control, except for when she went to Avengers Mansion and mm-hmm. passed out. So now at least we have a confirmation that so we know where and where it was true and where it no, wasn't. Absolutely, and that's and that's good. Now this the this page ends up the the last five panels of this page. I have to say, admittedly, um, my appreciation of it is definitely enhanced by my knowledge of what is to come. But that said, and what else is going on, like my my knowledge of the bigger picture. But that said, with the end of this page, Starlin, I have got to give credit, has set up an absolutely kick ass cliffhanger because we know from what else we know that eon has spirited captain marvel away for his big psychedelic psychological confrontation slash transformation what's happened here is he's left rick jones behind all of and that rick rubble is trapped in the rubble rick all is of buried. that rubble that the controller brought down rick is trapped under there and he is clanking those wrist nega bands together and nothing is happening because eon has taken captain marvel away from him that is an absolutely kick ass cliffhanger that is yeah. great so you get comic the, storytelling it's right there in chapter three so we have Thanos and his girl Death destroy her unconscious, and mm-hmm. Thanos has Cosmic Cube. Mm-hmm. The Avengers are all unconscious. Yep. Rick is trapped in a rubble. And his bands are absolutely not working. Captain Marvel is, oh, we don't know. And the controller has a win again. Uh-huh. So this is like the end of the show, and then then you the next page is like the five-second thing right the, before the post credit sequence. Right? Yeah. I'm sorry, if you watch uh, Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. It's that last bit right that, before the actual credits. This, this, this right here is where you see the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. logo and you hear uh, Clark Gregg go, we'll be right back. Yes. You know? And then you get that last like 10-second like, surprise yeah. thing about, oh! Because this is called Prologue. Prologue, which is, again, a bold and, and I believe, a consciously... Uh, subversive move here to call the last page of your comic prologue. And obviously, Jim Starlin was a fan. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming because, like I said, we we're assuming Starlin wrote the scripted this page. Yes, I am going to absolutely agree. So with you I'm on assuming that. Starlin is a fan of Star Trek. Mm, okay, space, final frontier to some, <laughs> well trod destination to others. Space. That which the mind perceives as in between. And so basically, what I find interesting is this is a very Marvel depiction of space. Because Kirby used to do the same sort of thing in Thor and Fantastic Four in the late 60s. Where you're depicting space, but rather than space being these vast open like spaces oh, with like stars smattered. And you know the occasional solar system orbiting a star. With this, it's just... Planets crowding in on each other willy-nilly with no cosmic organization or rhyme or reason whatsoever. And that is such a very Marvel depiction of the universe, uh, especially for the late 60s and early 70s. And Starlin bought right into it and ran with it full force. So Captain Marvel finds himself on the surface of somewhere distant and cosmic. And over his head is planets hovering closely it's it's really disconcerting it's very weird and yeah and these planets even have weird they're not just planets you have like 
weird shape geometric shapes textures on them like weird crisscross lines yeah, and and weird it surfaces is cool. it's definitely cool looking oh no it's it's a treat and a feast for the eyes it also makes absolutely zero cosmological it re- sense it reminds me a lot of doctor who towards the end of david tennant's run uh, uh, yes, yes. When the the planetary convergence, in, when all uh, the planets are being taken by the yes, Daleks, uh, and they're all they look up in the sky and they see like ten planets all over their heads, yes. like right there, like as close as the moon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's what it reminds me of. And, and it also reminds me very vaguely, speaking of Doctor Who, of there was an interesting run back in the eighties uh, uh, when uh, during when the Peter Davison, the fifth Doctor, was the current TV Doctor. The concurrently running comic strip in Doctor Who magazine, uh, written by Steve Parkhouse with art by the great. Dave Gibbons. Um, tr- uh, it was it was actually this overarching sort of running storyline involving an odd little English village known as Stockbridge, and the various ways in which the Doctor's outer space activities kept reflecting on this uh, and and impinging on this uh, village. And the way the reason I bring it up is because that some of the cosmic and more widescreen moments of that run tended to truck in this sort of weird. Uh, co- uh, uh, cos- not cosmic architecture. What's the there, there's there's a term for it? Uh, stellar uh, mechanics. Okay. Stellar mechanics and that sort of thing. But anyway, yes. um, To get back to what's going on here, so, because this is the last page of the issue. So yeah. So it's Eon is brought him there because we yep. see Eon really huge over Marvel. Marvel's yelling at him, saying, "You brought me to this alien soil at a time when the very universe needs warriors to protect it." Uh huh. And now Eon's various. It's nice lettering. God bless. This is some of Tom Orzechowski's earliest work, and he's already distinguishing himself as one of the more distinguished practitioners of his craft yes. um, because we already know that Eon has functionally speaking multiple personalities it's also got multiple faces after a fashion you've got one sure. facet that's a giant red eye and the other one actually looks like a mask face almost a mask face yeah because it doesn't really move very much and each one of these has a different voice and a different personality and a different motivating voice and you can uh, see which one's which here because there's a little extra change to the Bubbles. Yeah, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. Which... And he distinguishes the two voices by the outlines of their speech captions. Uh, one has a crinkly but uh, you know, otherwise uh, normal but crinkly border. The other voice has a crinkly double border. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yes. So um, it's a very interesting. And so one says, may I inform him as to our action? And the other goes, as you wish. You know, so they have very, that's how I envision them sounding, yeah. you know. And apparently he's telling him, no, I do know about Thanos. Trust me, you're not, it, I'm not just doing this I without knowing I am fully aware on. of what's going on. Yeah. And that is why I have done it. Because the uh, to combat a universal poison, a universal antidote must be prepared. You are that antidote Cree. And that, I love that. I do not know if it was intentional on uh, Starlin's part or not, but the fact that earlier in the issue, uh, the invocation of the word Cree was Captain Marvel, you know, invoking his racial pride yes. as a Cree, and now the word Cree is spit at Marvel by this giant, freaky cosmic being, almost as a dismissal, yes. you know, Cree. Shut you up. are that antidote. Shut up, you know. Cree. But yeah, it says, you know, in order for you to be the antidote, the warrior must die. Exactly. And it's like, oh, okay. So anyway, 
Um, So uh, at this point, it's interesting because you sort of know of this stuff in hindsight. And, you know, at this late date, 40 odd years on reading it for the first time, it does sort of have the sort of uh, feel of a historical curiosity sometimes sometimes you're reading it more for its place in history than for the actual story but that said right at this point with the cliffhanger he crafted with rick jones and now with this whole what's going on with captain marvel facing eon on this you know cosmic landscape i've got to say he's just on a straight up uh story basis they've got me by the short hairs i am ready to see what happens no, I next do, and I so that is next issue. that is an awesome and and important thing so rock on starlin rock on marvel comics you were killing it in 1973 and that's all i got to say if you would like to read this issue yourself you can find it in a few places besides of course getting the original you can always find it in the reprint series from the 80s the life of captain marvel issues 2 and 3 it was split up among those two issues. You can also find that in the Life of Captain Marvel trade paperback, which reprints the entire of the said series. And of course, you can get it in the Life and Death of Captain Marvel trade paperback, which is the same reprint book, but it also includes the Death of Captain Marvel graphic novel. Um, you can find it in the Marvel Masterworks Captain Marvel hardcover, volume 3. If you want to go a little cheaper and don't mind black and white, look for Essential Captain Marvel volume 2. You can get in the recently released Avengers vs. Thanos trade paperback. And, of course, if you want to go digital, it is available on Comixology.com and on the Marvel Digital Comics Unlimited. Now we're up to the Friends and Enemies section of the show. Brian was unable to stay longer this episode, so I will be handling it myself this time. In case this is your first episode, this is a section of the show where I talk about the other comics that Adam or Thanos have appeared in and what they are currently up to. Well... Current as of September 1973. I'm also trying something new this time. I've actually read all but one of these issues, so I should be able to say a bit more about them than just the basic blurb. Here we go. Fantastic Four number 138 by Jerry Conway and John Buscema. Madness is the Miracle Man. This is a weird time for the FF, as Sue and Reed are separated and Sue is left with Franklin. So we've one of the Inhumans taking her place on the team. But not Crystal. It's Medusa. I still haven't read when she joined, so I'm not sure why the Queen of the Inhumans would join the team. Also, this is when Johnny's wearing his red costume, so it's a strange look for the FF. Anyway, in this issue, White Wingfoot is back, and so is the Miracle Man from issue 3. He has convinced some Native American mystics to give him actual powers, which he uses to take over the tribe. It's bizarre. Just bizarre. If you want a real description, uh, go listen to Fantasticast. Uh, probably around episode... Well, I haven't recorded this yet, so probably around issue, episode 154, 155. Coming out probably in October. They're going to cover it a lot better there, I'm sure. The Incredible Hulk number 167 by Steve Englehart and Herb Trimp. To destroy the monster. We've had two plots running through the Hulk for the last few issues. The main plot has obviously involved the Hulk, as he tries to get home from the Arctic and spends a few issues having adventures on the ocean floor with a race who will explode if they go to the surface. Really, that's true. The secondary plot had been about General Thunderbolt Ross, who had been captured by the Soviet Union, and a rescue attempt headed up by his new son-in-law, Glenn Talbot. It worked, but Talbot himself was captured and is believed dead. This issue, the two plots come together. General Ross is home back home and reunite with his daughter Betty. 
Betty is very upset about the apparent death of her husband, and after blaming it all on her father, has a nervous breakdown and is put in a sanitarium. The Hulk has now made it back to America, and Bruce goes to see Betty, who likes him now as much as she likes her father. Modoc has his own hidden base nearby, and seeing the Hulk assumes he is there just to thwart him, for whatever plans he has plotted. Modoc has a giant robot body built for himself, with him, and then he puts himself on as the head, which he thinks he can use to take down the Hulk. And as you would assume, he promptly gets his ass kicked. Next up is Iron Man number sixty-two by Mike Friedrich and George Tuska. Die Avenger. Iron Man has been a pleasant surprise, as the title I'm enjoying the most in the Friends and Enemies section. George Tuska has a nice, partly humorous, partly Marvel house style, and Friedrich's stories are exactly what I'm looking for from a Bronze Age book. In this issue, Whiplash has a long, convoluted plot that involves him getting a job at Stark's Cincinnati location and becoming engaged to his boss, so that way when they get married, he can take over for her because he is the number two in the department, so of course he would become the head, and since they get married, of course she would want to quit and stay home and be a housewife. So of course, she does not want to quit when they get married, which apparently they never discussed until now. (laughs) And Whiplash's plan basically devolves into just him getting his ass kicked by Iron Man and then getting dumped. Marvel Premiere is the one title here that I was not able to read already, mostly because I don't have a copy of the original, and it is not available in Marvel's Digital Comics Unlimited. So I only have the basic blurb I found. I forget exactly where for this one. It was either in one of the bullpen checklists, or it was on the uh, complete Marvel reading order. One of the two, probably. Anyway, this month we had issue 10 by Steve Englehart and Frank Bruner. Finally, Shumagorth. With the dastardly secret of Shumagorth revealed, there's little left for Strange to do but fight. When the time comes, however, will Doctor Strange be able to make the right choices to save the world, or doom mankind to darkness? Finally, we come to Thor number 215 by Jerry Conway and John Buscema, the god in the jewel. So, if Iron Man is my favorite of all these Friends and Enemies issues that I've been reading, Thor probably is my least favorite overall. And it's funny, I mean, I, well, it's not like I don't like Thor, and I also, I really like Jerry Conway and John Buscema's work, so you'd think I would love this. But these Thor issues are kind of boring to me. It just, they don't stand out from this time period, they just kind of are there. And maybe for me, one of the reasons is that these, I read the last few issues here, and Thor's been searching for Sif, which, when I covered Thor last time in the show, well, the first time I covered Thor in the show, from episodes three through six, uh... It starts off with Thor looking for Sif. And then when we covered it, two issues of Thor from a different era in episode 7, which was when he was dating Jane Foster, he's searching for Jane Foster. So every time I'm reading Thor in this time in this late silver, early bronze age here, all he's doing really is looking for the woman he's dating who is quote-unquote missing. And I have to say, when this happens this many times, Thor, I don't really know if they're missing think they're in hiding. Take the hint. Tangent. An abrupt change of course. Tangent. To go off suddenly in another direction or on a different line of thought. Tangent. 
comic event featuring brand new characters with very familiar names. I'm waking up to ash and dust. I wipe my brow and I sweat my rust. I'm breathing in the chemicals. Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Find it bi-weekly on iTunes and at greatcrypton.com. In the Tangent Universe, you only know the names. If you feel so inspired, there are a few ways you can contact us here. You can send an email at resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com or just leave an iTunes review. Either one would be greatly appreciated and will be read on the air. Also, be sure to check out the show's Tumblr page, where I post images from the issues we review and news related to the show at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. This show can now be found on Stitcher. In case you don't know what Stitcher is, Stitcher is Radio On Demand, a free app that lets you listen to all your favorite shows, plus discovered from 20,000 others. Available on iOS, Android, Nook, and iPad. Don't have Stitcher? Download it free today at Stitcher.com or in the App Store. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you all for downloading this, and an even bigger thanks to all of you who actually listened to it. We'll be back next month of episode 29, and then in August we'll be going back to two episodes a month. I want to take a minute here let you all know what is going on that caused us to miss releasing any episodes in April and have to go monthly from May through July. After a lot of discussion and research... My wife and I, and the dog, are moving from New Jersey. Hear that, Geek Pod? New Jersey, not Ohio. <laughs> down south to Florida. Since she currently doesn't have a full-time job, she'll be going down there with the dog first in July, and she's going to be staying for parents while looking for a job, while I keep on working here and staying with my family for a few months. Currently, we are in the midst of packing insanity, which is taking most of the precedence over podcasting. However... Once they are down there, I will have way too much free time on my hands, and hopefully we'll be able to use that to get a bit ahead on the show to prevent any more delays this year. Hopefully. So, that's it for this time. I will see you all next month for episode 29. Bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended, or happening, or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com 
and DJ Puzzle at peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. I am trying to remember. I remembered when I finished editing it, and now I don't remember. <laughs> I think we got past the flashback there. Okay. Yeah, well, I remember talking about that part. Okay, okay. So we got through that panel. The Super Scroll and Mentor. Yeah, the Might will be right, because mm-hmm. we have the two Our Might shall be right, right. Well, then, I think we should start on this page, just because I got I see something hilarious on this page that I would like to... Uh... Okay, so my plan is, I fear we'll start, we'll do introduction, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll go, and we're going to go right into this... And then we'll do then we'll do the thing like okay we're in twenty seven so here's the drop for the synopsis now because mm-hmm, why mm-hmm. would I have that first say we want to get through this one first and then we'll do that one okay and then we could do like you know regular then the then the reprints and friends and enemies and all that, that works crap. that works fine and then as long as we have time I have an email that we we have too so I want to read cool okay well let me get my phone so I can keep an eye on the time yep okay eleven thirty three that's better. I was trying to start on your new stomach. Uh. <laughs> what? It wants in. <laughs> Hello, I'm here. Welcome to the Thanos and Adam Warlock podcast starring Al and Brian in Brian's belly. Well, in that case, Georgia wants to get involved, too. <laughs> my tapeworm. Ah, there you go. Get in my belly, Thanos. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Take two. <laughs> <laughs> 